Welcome back to the One Two Football Podcast. It's been a while since we last did this one for uh, issues to do with us being busy with our schedule. But how are you, Kieran? I'm I'm doing all right, mate. Yeah, doing all right. Very busy at the moment, as always, but going all right yourself. Yeah, I mean, you say you're doing all right. You're doing better than your Wi-Fi, at least. So if any of you do hear him break up or anything, <laughs> that's a, that's a reason why. Um, yeah, no, I'm all right. Just got back from work. You know how it is. Look at us working people now. No longer students. So Yeah, it's a hard life to get to get used to. <laughs> Two days into your new job and you already want to nap three. at five o'clock. Three. Three, three days. Three. Sorry, mate. Yeah, credit. Yeah, sorry, mate. Three days. That, that's basically a lifetime. To be fair, yeah. when you first Tell start. Tell me about it. It does feel like that when you first start. Um, but something that doesn't feel like work is talking about football, which we love to do. Um, Nathan would love that little uh, little tour into our I don't think there. he would have. I think uh, you'd have hated Oh, I think you would love it. Well, Nathan, let us know. Um, anyway, as you can tell, Nathan's not here. I don't think we've actually mentioned that until that's hence, hence the <laughs> Hence the reference to busy schedules is we can only get two of us together at the yeah, same time. Can. He will be back um, in the next episode, which is now fortnightly, um, but he's not here today. Uh, good riddance. Yep, he's he's gone. He's never coming back. <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone of you wants to replace him, let us know. Comment or something. We'll get you on. Um, well, that'd be funny if we did that each week. We just the hell, mate. Let's talk about some football Instead now. Come of on. You're, you're, you're dragging it out a little bit. Come on, <laughs> get a bit bored. I'll, I'll go. You can run it by yourself, mate. Right. Well, okay. Um, we've obviously got together before this and thought of a few a few talking points so I guess as I'm talking I'll ask you a question about what is probably our, our first topic is the return to the Premier League of Unai Emery uh, he'll be taking over from where Steven Gerrard left uh, as the manager of Aston Villa um, firstly your immediate reaction to that what, what did you think of the appointment uh, I think it's a great appointment for Aston Villa. Um, I think it's better on their part than it is on on him as a, and a manager's part. Um, I think he's a great manager for them. You know, won the Europa League, sadly, beating Man United. Um, you know, he's, he's, he is the Europa League manager, as people like to say. He, he's great in that tournament, which is why I think it's great for them. He also did really well in the Champions League. I'm pretty sure last season he got into the semi-final or something like that. So... He is a very good manager. He didn't do great at Arsenal in his last in, in the Premier League, but his track record since then has been pretty good. Um, and for the level at which Aston Villa are, it's an amazing hire for them. They were linked with so many big names. And I think a lot of people thought that it was just all going to be, or they, you know, they were looking at Tuchel, Pochettino and all these, but they actually, they didn't get anyone on maybe that pedigree, but they have got someone that's probably, still probably out of their league. And that's why I think it's great for them, but maybe not for him. He was, you know, he was in a team that was fighting on, you know, the European fronts to now go to Aston Villa, which is why I think it's a bit of an or, or weird one for him. Um, Statues of the club globally, yeah, they're probably very similar. Uh, maybe Aston Villa a bit bigger, obviously, but we're in England, so we'd think that. But I think for him, he's not got European football anymore, which is why it's a bit of a weird one for me. But clearly, he sees a really good project there, like Steven Gerrard did. And I just, I think it could work really well. I mean, we saw what they're capable of in their last game out, where they absolutely embarrassed Steven Gerrard and was quite clear that they clearly just did not want to play for him because look what they did. Well, uh, what do you think? What do you think of it? That's my view. Well, I, I just I'll go off on a couple of tangents of some points you made when you talk about uh, the bigger names that they were linked with. That you know, I think representative from both camps of Pochettino and Tuchel, Tuchel made it quite clear that they weren't interested in the job. Which you know, 
as someone who's experienced um, a recent managerial search uh, last summer, um, when it feels like every single name under the sun is rejecting your club, uh, it can be pretty rough. But one thing about Aston Villa, they're very quick to react to things. So even though they were rejected by both camps, it was you know within the next 12 hours that Emery was rumoured to be getting appointed. There was talks. They'd laid an offer down. He was going to leave. He told Villarreal, Villarreal he was going to leave. Villa had paid his buyout clause. And then the next thing you know, it's it's been announced on social media. So they moved very quickly. Um, and another thing, I, I obviously I don't know this, but from how I see it, I feel like maybe Emery thinks he's achieved all he can at Villarreal and taken the club as far as he can go. Um, he's won a major European trophy and he reached, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the Champions League semi-finals last season with you know victories over, I think maybe... Juventus and Bayern Munich in the knockout rounds, definitely Bayern Munich. Um, so perhaps he, he kind of thinks that he's taken them as far as he can. And one thing that, you know, when Emery retires as a manager, everyone will look at is, you know, the stint at Arsenal, which ultimately is looked back at as, as a failure. And, you know, as a, as a man, I imagine with a lot of pride in what he does, he wants to rectify that. And he sees Aston Villa as his opportunity to do that. So... I think while, yeah, you make good points about how you think it's kind of like a, a backwards or maybe sideways move for him, I think on all fronts, both for Villa and for him, uh, it's it's a it's a brilliant move. I, I can completely get what you're saying there. You know, there was a lot of, I think, sceptical fans um, in England thinking maybe he just wasn't a very good manager, but he's gone abroad to La Liga and he's proved that he is a good manager. There's a reason why he has managed top clubs like PSG in the past, which is why I think, though, when you look at it with such, you know, maybe maybe unlike yours, with a little less depth looking into it, just straight out what it is. It's a bit weird. He's gone to Aston Villa. He was at, you know, Villarreal, Arsenal, PSG. It does seem quite a steep drop down. But yeah, I mean, maybe this is what he's looking at. You know, he's seen that the potential at Aston Villa. We all know how good Aston Villa can be. We saw that when they got uh, promoted, they did really well. This Their recent form, you would say, is probably a blip compared to how they've done in the past few few years. So, yeah, maybe he can see something that he can really take them there. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were, to be fair, saying that they could be on the brink of European football, you know, Europa League. They were getting ever closer to it. So maybe he does see, uh, you know, him able to get them there and who better to get them there. And if they can be in there, there's a great chance they can win it with him at the reins. But um, I think it will be really interesting um, I'm going to put a question to you now. One of the biggest, I think one of the clear reasons, I've already slightly mentioned this, uh, reason why Gerard didn't succeed there is because it just went so sour, it seems, with the players. Obviously, it's not necessarily completely been told that it's 100% true, but you can kind of see one the, the immediate bounce. Normally, you get you know a new manager bounce, but to see that big of a jump in such short time from Gerard leaving to that performance, it was quite clear that they were not playing for him. And Emery, as we've mentioned at Arsenal, hasn't got a great track record in England anyway of having a group of players that want to play for him. You know, he one of the main reasons why he didn't do great was because he fell out with a lot of those Arsenal players. So do you think he's the right man in that sense to come into a dressing room which was very toxic, we think, under the previous manager? And do you think he can come back in, rectify that and, and get them back to winning ways? I, you, That's a very good point, actually. Um, but maybe I haven't totally thought about yet I, I'd imagine that Emery has learned a lot from his Arsenal days and grown as a manager I think we've seen that in his time at Villarreal the one thing that you know Gerard did pretty quickly was um, taking the captain's armband off Tyrone Mings and whether you look at it from a, a leadership or a performance perspective 
I think it immediately kind of, as it, as it would do, maybe made some people in the dressing room sour and maybe some fans sour on him slightly. I think we've seen how clear, the, how important Michael Beer was um, after he left Villa to join QPR and you see how well QPR are doing as well. I think they're top of the championship at the moment. Um, and, you know, you always got the impression from people on the in the know on the insider that Michael Beale was the football man and Gerard was very much the bravado leader kind of thing as he was as a player. Some people just react differently to that. Um, and I think, you know, while you look back at his Rangers record and resume and what he did there, winning their first Scottish league in, you know, I think a decade, um, could you maybe say that he had it quite easy in Scotland? Um, you know, other than Celtic, that you're probably going to play four times a year. You, you've got trips to Motherwell, Partick Thistle, St. Johnson. It's not, ex- it's not exactly travelling to Ellen Road um, and places like that. So I think, it, I don't want to say Gerard was out of his depth, um, but I think maybe he slightly underestimated what being a Premier League manager would be like. And that's why I think that Emery will be fine because he knows what it's like to be a Premier League manager. He understands the pressure and I imagine that now he's feels like he's, he can cope with it better um, and I don't see any reason why Villa can't have success under him. And I guess just finally, a very simple question that leads me back into asking you, what what is success for Villa under Emery? You know, short term, long term, how do you kind of view that? Where would be a good place for them to finish this season. Obviously, Gerard has been in charge for a few months this season, so you can't completely judge him off that. Um, but we saw with Conte when he came in, I think Spurs went about 20 games unbeaten and finished in the top four, so it's definitely possible to get a positive finish, even if you're not in charge with the group of players you want for the whole season. I mean, I think the best way to answer this is just looking back onto our pre-season predictions they had a really good end to last season Gerard came in and you know everyone played really well Coutinho especially and we thought you know these this group of players the transfers that they brought in bearing in mind they did some really good movements in the transfer market in the summer we thought you know what well, they can go really far here and I think in my mind and I don't think it's that crazy to say this that you've got the the so-called top six then you've got Newcastle who we might touch on a little bit later and then I don't think there's any reason why Aston Villa with the squad they've got, can't be compete, competing for that eighth spot. I think they've got a, definitely a squad capable of it. A lot of, you know, maybe at the start of the season, we would have said maybe, you know, someone like Leicester should be up there, but they're miles off it. So I think this is a great opportunity for Aston Villa to get the new manager and start playing the way they can. Because let's be honest, it is still quite early on in the season. There's no reason why they can't still finish that high up the table. So I think success for them will be to become one of the best of the rest, um, which they were very close to doing um, not that long ago. Uh, so I just think finishing inside that top 10, finishing, you know, eighth, maybe even seventh, if they can really push up there. But um, I think they'd take eighth, ninth, tenth, to be honest with you. Um, I don't actually know where they currently are on the table. I've completely forgot. I didn't actually look, but um, you know, it will take a lot. If they continue at the rate they were going, they were never going to get there um, or stay there, depending on where they are. But I think, you know, eighth position in my mind. Why? What do you think is going to be success for them? I mean, well, just getting a couple I, wins I was, on the bounce would be good to start with. Yeah. Short term wise, yeah, just win some games. Um, I think, as you mentioned there, being them being the best, the rest could be quite important this season. Um, West Ham obviously played last for this game week of fixtures against Bournemouth. 
before the game, they were 17th. And I think after they won, they were 10th. So it just goes to show how close it is between all those teams that are kind of lingering there. You've got Palace, Brighton, Everton, Southampton, you know, teams like that, that Fulham on the up as well, um, who are kind of in and around there when very quickly they could be with, you know, three successive losses, for example, which kind of has happened to Leeds. Very quickly, it looks like you're in a relegation battle. Um, so I think, yeah, short term wise, get some wins. Um, and as we saw with, you know, the the team that um, was picked at the weekend, they've obviously got good players. You know, I think we very clearly knew that. I think Gerard was dealt maybe a tough blow with two of his marquee signings um, being injured. Luca Dean is struggle for fitness as well. Um, so that was always going to be a challenge, but it just goes to show that they have got quality in a lot of places um, and they've got depth as well to hopefully deal with those injuries. Um, so I I imagine when you compare the squads on paper, it, yeah, it should be. It should be, I think, a, a not comfortable finish in the top half of the table. But, you know, as I said, when you look at the squads on paper, you know, it, if you were to rank them, you, you would put Villa in 7th, 8th or ninth. Look, at, I've just got the table up in front of me now, and you said how tight it is. It really is tight. If I was, so I said, I think they could, they've definitely got a squad capable of finishing, you know, eighth place or thereabouts. Liverpool are currently in eighth. Aston Villa are in fifteenth. Aston Villa are on twelve points. Liverpool, granted, they've got a game in hand, but Liverpool are on sixteen points. So that's four points off of where they potentially can be. So. You know, forget what's happened so far. They need to get Emery and they need to get their heads down working. And it's so easy for them still to look back on the season and be like, you know what, that was actually a really successful season. You know, we finished eighth place. That was really good. Um, and I think, you know, if they can get back on track and they can do that, everyone will forget about the first few games, or first, what, 12 games under under CVG. And I think everyone will be looking forward to to the following few seasons under, under Emery. Let's move on to Spurs. I'll ask you the first question because, you know, you are the the in-house Spurs man, even though I wish, you probably wish you weren't currently. Um, I think the, the, not that bad. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's not great, but it's not that bad. Well, whilst I've got the table up in front of me, let's just, you know, say where they are. Um, you are third place. Third, which, aren't we? On, yeah, it's third place, which yeah. on, I think, but I think that's very... I feel like that really does hide the issues at play when you say third place, because you'd be like, at the start of the season, third place, oh yes, let's take that. But then you actually look at the teams you've played and you see who you won points against and who you've dropped points against. And you're a bit like, yeah, okay, well, we haven't really been tested. And when we have been tested, we haven't done great. So, 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 yeah, so, yeah, I mean, come on, Man United, look at that great game that was uh, on my end. But let's, yeah, so like we're saying, we're getting into it. Third place, 23 points, you know, Top place, Arsenal on 28 points. Doesn't actually seem that bad, but at the roots of it, it's not great. So take it away. Well, I guess uh, it's a, it's quite a large talking point, but you mentioned there about the lower half teams and the, the big six. Um, every time we've played a team that are currently in that top six, so Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, now Newcastle, um, we haven't secured maximum points once. When you look at the teams we've beaten, Nottingham Forest, Fulham, uh, Wolves, um, Everton, teams that are do pick up wins, obviously, but you'd expect them to lose against clubs like 
Spurs, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea. The traditional kind of big six. Um, so, it, it, it is a tough one to approach because there are so many opinions that you see on social media, Twitter, pundits, everything like that. Um, you always felt like the opinions you were getting were exaggerated after a defeat and, you know, even glossed over after a win. So the point being that the, the biggest talk, probably talking point is how we set up. We set up not to be beaten and so often we rely on the counter-attack, even against teams who we should be dominating. I remember watching the Wolves game and, you know, they, they absolutely bossed the first half. Um, and this is the Wolves team that are really struggling at the moment. Obviously, we won the game still, but on paper, it is only 1-0. So while that is okay, because we are winning games against teams we should be beating, um, our real kind of next test is beating the teams around us who we want to finish above. And that is where we have a problem because while they will leave themselves more open to being hit on the counter because they will play more expansive, because they want to attack, because they want to win, you rely kind of more heavily on defence to defend well. And that's where, you know, Spurs have been struggling slightly as well. If we were to look at individuals, you know, Eric Dyer probably since Conte's come in, has been one of the best players. Um, and Hugo Lloris can go from the World Cup winner that he is to not looking out of place in I honestly, a, a League 2 honestly National League just, team. honestly thought you just went, we're about to say, Hugo Lloris can just go and fuck himself or something then, when you just went, he could go from... <laughs> Oh, this will get explicit. Are you going to cut that out? <laughs> nah, this is getting explicit. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. Oh. Anyway, carry on. No. <laughs> no, because because he stopped it from being 7-0 against Man United. So, um, exactly. In the space of five days, he's kind of the root cause of two goals against Newcastle. So, it, 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 he can be that kind of player sometimes. Um it's obviously a massive talking point and issue, but we need to start beating teams around us. And that just makes that Liverpool game uh, the week before the World Cup starts absolutely huge because not only will it put us in good stead going into the break, but it will also, it's time to find out whether we can turn it on the big game in our stadium. Because that's the thing. Minus obviously the Newcastle game, those drop points have all come away from home where we notoriously struggle. Um, so if we can get a full house at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you know, kind of really get the atmosphere going, you know, it should be a cauldron for teams. No team should want to play there, but teams know that if they put any sort of pressure under us, you know, without certain players, we will break. No Pierre-Emile Hoiberg at weekend was absolutely crucial. You know, he's played, I think, every minute so far this season. At least he's featured in every single game. No Christian Romero. He just provides that kind of weird blend of chaos and composure. It's so hard to explain, whereas Davinson Sanchez is just chaos. So, 
obviously it is, you know, I haven't even touched on the attackers, uh, the attackers, no Richarlison and Dayland. I was going to say, you say touch on the attackers. I think that was the glaring issue for me with Spurs against Man United. The attackers were two players out of 11. The rest of them were yeah. all defensive players. You literally had two. It was Son, an eight you had two. Son, you had Son and Kane. And then literally every, all of your midfield three basically do the exact same role. They were defensive players. Then you had all your defenders and then a goalie. And I was like, okay, well, Going into this game, I was quite nervous. You know, this is Spurs we're talking about here. You know, they've been quite prolific. You know, we've seen it. But you lose Richarlison, you lose Kulaveski, and you're literally left with a defence and, and two players stranded up top looking for someone to give them that pass, which is never going to receive because you haven't got that playmaker on the pitch. Well, that, that's what you mentioned as well, is often Harry Kane will try and be that playmaker. And when he is playing with two other people up front, it works a lot better because he can drop deep and pick up the ball. And you've got runs of Son going beyond the last man. You've got runs of Kulazewski trying to pull wide, get into those gaps. So you have more you have more offensive players occupying defenders. Whereas when Ken, Kane tries to do it when we play a 3-5-2, it's not going to work the same unless we can get the wing-backs penned up right against the opposition wing-backs or full-backs. That's kind of the key to it. And when we don't do that, that is when we are left with, as you mentioned, quite literally an 8-2. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the game at the weekend uh, against Bournemouth, again, away from home, is not exactly a hostile environment uh, as a, a capacity that I don't think stretches over 10,000. Um, but it's a team who are kind of exceeding expectations. But then it's a game that we should win. So while there are, you know, fitness concerns and fitness doubts about who will play where, I don't think as much as Spurs fans clamoured for the 3-5-2, mm. it's really working because we don't have specific midfield players who can play in each role. You look at United at the moment, I know it's not quite a midfield three, but you have a six, eight and a ten. We have three sixes, maybe sometimes two eights, maybe they can play like that, but no one will be a ten. Kulazewski kind of sometimes falls that role alongside Kane when, you know, they're both playing. But when it's just one of them, they can only do it so well because they need to be in the kind of forward areas. Um, so I don't think I quite realised how important Kulazewski is until now. Um, so I think when he comes back, whether that be slightly before the World Cup or after the World Cup, we will be a, a much better kind of well-oiled machine. Well, you just mentioned there how, you know, you're hoping to get a good result against Bournemouth. We'll quickly touch now our last talking point because um, we have only got a few more minutes left um, of Newcastle, a team that you did just lose to. And fair play to Newcastle. They've been doing superb this season. If they keep it up with the way they're going, maybe get a couple more players in in January. I don't think there's any reason why they, they can't stay in there. And I honestly think they could really and I'll be genuine here, get a top four spot this season if they keep the way they're going because they've been playing. I, I it's a, They're a joy to watch. There aren't many teams that I, mm. I like to sit down and like be like, okay, yeah, I want to watch them. But normally it's like Man United and if I can catch another game, I'll catch another game. I'm making sure I watch Newcastle United pretty much every single week now. I watched them in the Man City uh, game early on the season and I just fell in love with, with watching them and I've seen pretty much nearly every game in the last few months since then because they are such a joy to watch. Um, obviously, not so much when they're playing against you, um, as we both found out in a way. I didn't watch that game because it wasn't on TV, but we were held to a, a nil-nil draw annoyingly. Um, but you obviously losing. 
that one player that everyone's raving about at the minute is Almiron and how he's now added the, the piece of the puzzle that he didn't do, which was the finishing move, which I think, to be honest, I think in the past, Newcastle had a lot of players that didn't do that. Uh, St. Maximin, you know, he's notorious for doing everything apart from finishing. He's obviously been out injured and yet they're still thriving without what many people would have said was probably one of their best players um, or is one of their best players. But everyone's doing so well at the minute, aren't they? They're just amazing. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, Almiron is probably catching the headlines because he is scoring the goals and some goals that they, they are, you know, turning out to be that finish against Everton was lovely. Um, but it's probably not too much of a shock, really, because we saw how good Bruno Gamarish was last season and he's just carried that into this season. He's playing with so much confidence. You can see how much he loves playing for Newcastle and how much the fans love him. He's just a player that's got a bit, bit of everything. You know, he can play as that deeper um, midfielder. He, he almost acts like a playmaker, though, at times. You know, so if you do pair him alongside someone who perhaps maybe is a bit more defensive, someone like who he's been playing with in Sean Longstaff, you know, they can quite easily alternate those roles, which allows him to get forward and, you know, score goals. Because, you know, I think he's got four or five goals already this season, scored um, twice against Brentford. Um, so he's much of a threat he is going forward, but also he has so much composure um, defensively. And he's just, he's one of those players that can snuff out danger seconds before it happens. You know, he just knows where to be at the right time. And you can see why after only, what, nine, nine months at Newcastle that clubs around Europe are thinking, no, we, we desperately want this player. Um, and for good reason. I think as well, you know, Newcastle are starting to keep a lot of clean sheets. And if they don't keep clean sheets, it's one goal. If that times, obviously Man City was a bit of an anomaly that that was attack the attack. Um, obviously, we've seen the impact of Kieran Trippier going forward. But I think also, again, that kind of solidity and leadership he brings at the back. And Sven Botman as well has been probably, for my money, their, I don't want to say best signing, but I do think he needs to get a bit more credit for just how good he's been. I saw him against Spurs and Harry Kane didn't didn't get a look in. And I know obviously teams will target Kane because they know what he can do. But even when he was, you know, kind of getting on the ball, Botman was just there like that. Same with Son as well. He's just so dominating. He's such a presence in that Newcastle defence that, you know, as you mentioned with Almiron, they've got him now scoring goals. Wilson is back and he scored a few times. They've got, you know... Alexander Isaac to come back as well. St. Maxman's not even fit yet still. Um, they've got a bit of everything everywhere. Um, the only concern is if someone does get injured. We've seen how they've coped with no St. Maxman. I think Jalinton kind of has been playing a bit on the left. I think Jacob Murphy is uh, filled in as well. Ryan Fraser is you know, filled in as well. And these are good squad players to have. Um, Joe Willock as well. But they're not at the level of you know people like Almiron, Gimaraes, um, Botman, Trippier, who were absolute first-team players, names on the street straight away. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, minus this weekend, I don't have to watch Newcastle play my team for a while now. So I think, like you, I will likely enjoy them playing against you know some of the bigger teams. I'm excited to see them play Arsenal um, as well, because Arsenal are... Maybe minus Man City, probably the best. Well, statistically, they are the best team in the league at the moment, being top. 
Um, but that game against uh, Newcastle at St. James Park last season was massive. Um, but I think, you know, this one could also be massive as well, not even from a league standing position, just from an entertainment aspect. So, you know, as you said, I'm, I love watching Newcastle now, minus the weekend. Yeah, I, just one last point before we wrap it up. I was just going to say, like, Bruno Gamares, I think, is a player that I think could walk into any team really in Europe right now and and may probably even start I mean he is that good and there's not many players that you can you can say that he is he is a, an incredible talent but I think what makes Newcastle right now is the fact that apart from an odd player like Bruno there aren't many players which you could say you know would would be a starting player for for any other big team in Europe they're just a solid unit they all work together and I think that's credit to to how for for bringing that mentality and for getting them working like that I I was very skeptical when they signed him I thought it was an awful appointment or not signed him but hired him <laughs> I thought it was an awful appointment uh, you could go back and you can go back and clip that I'm not even lying I was not very for it but you know just the way they work as a team you can see that they're all really enjoying their football at the minute and I think that's what the biggest positive for them is that they are they are a team they are a group of players that uh, want to play well together play are playing very well together and um I, I don't see it stopping anytime soon to be honest um and i think we're both very happy that we we've got them results out the way or games out the way um me probably a bit more happy we've got a point unlike you you loser but um apart from that uh it's all good but uh yeah i think i i think that should wrap it up um good episode without Nathan so you can expect to see him never again do it more often yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah um, make sure you check out um, our web uh, website we've plugged it enough not going to say it again make sure you check out the TikTok no new videos this week or next week but we will get be getting new ones back after the next podcast and um, thanks for listening